Blog Talk Radio. Well, good evening, everyone. This is The Word on Wednesday with Pastor Winfred Burns of Word Worship and Witness Ministries. And for those of you out there, Facebook Live, look, you can see me straightening my collar up a little bit and trying to look just a little bit more presentable. Anyway, I pray that you are having a blessed evening and that you are ready and excited about uh, this series that we have been laboring with for quite some time now, and you've probably figured it out. He ain't going to quit till he's finished. He will not quit until he's finished with this, and we're on a mission, and our mission is to understand and I think sometimes we get, uh, we lose focus on what our overall mission is. But our mission is to understand what God is saying to us in First and Second Samuel. And we started out in First Samuel about a year ago. And we, when we started, we offered up the premise that the, that First and Second Samuel shows us how God will take these scattered tribes, and turned them into the nation of Israel. We said a long time ago that, you know, that this was all, everything that happened was part of God's plan, and it fits into the plan of salvation. Um, we've seen uh, the King, King Saul, and we've seen the transformation of wor- uh, worship transformation, we saw that Saul was a worldly king, a king picked by people, and what happened with the people during that regime. We also see that David is the godly king, but now we run into a circumstance in David's life because, you know, God made some promises to David, and David was very, very successful. Uh, he successfully galvanized the tribes and brought them together as one. They've defeated the enemy. The kingdom is on the rise. And all of a sudden, we run into David's demise. We run into, David is doing so good. He is a man after God's own heart. And one day, he makes a decision concerning Bathsheba. And even more than making the decision concerning Bathsheba, she, he made a decision to murder her husband. And we have anchored these last several weeks on seeing how God is working out a principle in David's life um, that, and we found the principle stated real succinctly over in Galatians where it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We talked about in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12 how Nathan came and visited Samuel after um uh, he had killed Uriah and tried to cover up his sin, and how Nathan pronounced that the sword would never leave David's house, and that also that 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 all that also that baby was going to die, and that um, that David, the things that David did in secret, would be shown openly in his life. We saw all of those things, and now we're, we, we, tra- we journeyed a little further on with his son Amnon, how we saw that chaos, the seeds of his sin, began to 
uh, uh, manifest within his house, how Amnon fell in love or thought he was in love but was actually in love, lust with Tamar, and how Tamar, um, and how Tamar was raped and, and how she was disgraced, and then how Absalom comes along after that, and Absalom kills Amnon, the deception. And so David's deception is multiplied, and David's murder is multiplied. And this is going on within his house, within his family. David is literally reaping what he sowed. And then we went further to show some of the seeds that had been planted. One of the seeds that was planted in Absalom's heart was hatred. And we talked about you know, being a hater and where hatred leads you to and how hatred just doesn't just reside within and just burn within, but being a hater opens you up to all of the, the demons that Satan can send your way and how we weren't called to be haters. We were called to be lovers. We weren't called to exact revenge. We were called to be vessels of blessing. And so we've been looking at that, and we've been comparing uh, Absalom and David and Amnon's stories with our own lives to see what principles we can pick out. And those are just some of them that that we picked up on. And I know that there have been more things that you have picked up on in your own individual studies as you have prayed and asked the Lord questions about this study. So tonight, we're going to continue in into chapter 15 last week, as you remember, now, Abs- um, uh, um, now Absalom has been, he's come back from exile. He, you know, in chapter 14, we talked about how he got Joab, how he, how Joab helped him get back home from his grandfather's house, and then also how um, now he's in exile. He was in exile in Joshua for three years. He's been exiled, in exile for, in Jerusalem for two years. And so for five years, he hadn't seen the king's face. And finally, the king, he, does, he gets Joab by burning his field to go back into the king. And he comes back into the king's presence. He takes his rightful place in the line of succession, which is all he was worried about anyway. And now we continue with his story. Uh, that's where we are right now. But before we go any further, let's have a word of prayer. And then after our word of prayer, I want to extend an invitation to some folks who might be watching who don't know Jesus. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you, to praise you, to bless you. For you are good and your mercy endures forever. God, tonight we we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. Father, we don't want to be caught up in our flesh our emotions, what we want, what we want, what we want, me, 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 I, 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 this is how I feel, I want to do this, I want to do that. We don't need that. We need, to, we need you, and we need to follow your spirit. And so even right now, God, for our selfishness, for the fact that we haven't done everything or reflected you as we should in our daily walk, We repent right now and ask that you would forgive us. And not only forgive us, but wash us clean. Make us whiter than snow. Create in us a clean heart 
and renew a right spirit within us. For God, you desire truth in the inward parts. You don't want us walking around like whitewashed sepulchres. You don't want us walking around as hypocrites. You don't want us walking around pretending to be one thing and showing one thing on the outside when in our hearts there's hatred and confusion and revenge. God, but you desire purity from us. And we want to be clean and pure before you. So we submit ourselves to you. We humble ourselves in your presence, O God. And we don't care if you exalt us or not. We just want to be in your presence. So we humbly beseech thee, O God. Help us, your children, as we study your word. Lead us and guide us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to also call to let you know that your sins are forgiven. You might know that, but there might be somebody watching tonight who does not know. Your sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus, when he first told some people that, he got a lot of trouble because they say, who is it that can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And now here this fathead preacher sitting up here, and he's telling folk all over the nation that their sins are forgiven. Well, guess what? God equips us to tell that story, to tell people that their sins are forgiven. And why can I say that? I can say it because when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of mankind, everybody. He paid the sin penalty. He paid the price. And because he paid the price for our sins, our sins are forgiven. Simple as that. Now, so what follows after that? Tell you what follows after that. You can be saved. How can you be saved? By confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for your sins, and you ask Him to be your Savior. Simple as that. If you believe that in your heart, if you believe that in your heart, and you confess it with your mouth, and your confession is your sign of faith, because faith is belief plus action. So the action that you take is confessing that Jesus is Lord, that he is, that he is the Son of God, that, and you want him to be Lord of your life. And when you make that confession and ask him to be Lord of your life, you are saved. As simple as that. Now, so what do you do after that? What do I do if I... If I if I, if I confess that Jesus is the Son of God and I ask him to be my Savior, what do I do? Here's what I want you to do after that. I want you to find a Christian. I want you to find a church. I want you to find a pastor and tell them, I confess that Jesus is the Son of God and I asked him to be my Savior, and now I'm saved. So what do I do? And that pastor or that Christian, that church, they're going to grab hold of you going to love you, and they're going to explain the next steps for you. They're going to explain salvation to you, and it's a wonderful thing. And while, you, while, you, while, you go, while you're looking around and get that explanation, let me welcome you to the family of God. Let me welcome you so you can know that Jesus is your Savior, and you are a member of the family of God. Amen? That's a wonderful, wonderful thing, and I welcome you to the family. 
Okay, so now, let's jump into it. Get in your Bibles, get your Bibles, turn to um, 2 Samuel chapter 15, and we're going to jump right in. Now, remember, he's been restored to the king's table. The king, uh, that's, what, that's where we left off last week. Chapter 15 begins like this. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He, he would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed, if I were the appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or a case could come to me and I would see that he gets justice. Now, look at Absalom. Remember last week we talked about Absalom, the pretty boy with all the hair, who was not studying about nothing but himself because he was arrogant and self-centered? Well, here is this same guy. And the first thing that the author tells us is that he's not fit to be a king. He is not fit to be a king. Why is that? Because Absalom does what kings are not supposed to do. Kings were not supposed to have horses and chariots and folk running out in front of him and acting all ostentatious like they did in the world. God's king was supposed to administer justice. And so the first thing that we see is Absalom makes an indictment against David in his presentation, and not only in his presentation, but in his behavior. He didn't sit at the gate of the city where decisions were supposed to be judged. Look what it says he did. He would stand by the side of the road leading to the city gates. So instead of allowing the people to get to the place where the decisions were supposed to be adjudicated, Absalom set up a stand with his chariots and his boys way down the road. And he intercepted the people before they can get to the gate and what did he do? First of all, he ingratiated himself to them. He, fought, he, 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 he presented himself in a false manner by, first of all, saying, oh, there is no judge appointed to hear your case. Now, they didn't even make it to the gate. Absalom tells them, ain't nobody there that's going to give you justice. And what is he doing? He is eroding the confidence of the people in the king by, by saying, you're not going to get justice from him. 
And one of the jobs of the king was to bring justice throughout the kingdom. And so essentially he's saying the court is absent. The court is corrupt. You're not going to, you got a, you got a case. You have a winnable case. But there's no need of you going any farther than you're going because there's nobody that's going to judge it properly. The second thing that he does here is in verse 5. He says, if we look at verse 5, also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Watch this now. Watch this one real closely. Absalom was faking like he really cared for these people. He would come up to him, and you've seen people like this who mean you no good at all, but they come into you and they smiling in your face and they hugging you and they say, how you doing, baby? Oh, I sure miss you. I'm praying for you. And you know all they're trying to do is get close enough to you so they can stab you in the back. This was Absalom. This is what Absalom is doing, and he's doing it behind David's back. David doesn't even know that this guy is out here doing all of this stuff. And remember, now this is a guy who has received grace from David. He's received mercy from David. This is a guy who was supposed to be dead. And not only is he not dead, but because of the love of his father, he was brought back to Jerusalem. And not only, not only was he brought back, but David loved this boy so much that he restored him to his place at the king's table. And the reward for this is Absalom going behind the king's back to usurp his authority and foment rebellion. Let's look at ourselves for a couple of minutes. Are we rebelling? Are we rebelling against God? Are we rebelling in the kingdom of God right now? Is the spirit of Absalom present in your home, in your church, on your job? within you. Ask yourself the question, because it's so easy for us to look at Absalom and see his deception toward himself, toward others, and not realize that not only is he deceiving others, but he's also deceiving himself. And this deception and this self-will stemmed from his hatred, the fact that he was clawing for something that could have been his, but he wanted to make sure that he got it. 
Now remember, look back. What was one of the reasons why he killed Amnon? One reason that he killed Amnon was because he hated him for raping his sister. The other reason that he killed Amnon was because Amnon stood between him and the throne. Because Amnon was the oldest boy, and he was next in line to the throne. So when he got the opportunity to bump him off, he did. His motivation was twofold. One, what Amnon did to his sister, and two, Amnon was in his way. And now we find that he's setting David up because David is in his way, and he wants that throne. And last week, we spent time over in Ezekiel, I believe it was Ezekiel 44, I think that's where it was, where was that at? My notes are around here somewhere. Uh, I I, want to call the chapter off real quick so you can go back and look at it. Let me look at my notes real quick from last week and see if I can just find it. Over in Ezekiel, and what did we find out that that, that, that reminded us of? Let me look at it. I think it's Ezekiel 28. Let's look at it real quick again, because as we go through this chapter, what we're going to see is this is a satanic move that has been employed before, and we're going to see the end of this satanic move. Uh, my notes say, I think my notes are telling me that it's Ezekiel 28. Let me look real quick. Ezekiel 28. Yeah, that's where it's at. Ezekiel 28. Let's run through it again. The word of the Lord came to me. Ezekiel 28:11. Flip over there quick if you can. Yeah, I'll read it for you. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, crystallite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence, and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. We know that this references the fall of Satan when Satan got kicked out of heaven, out of the presence of God. And if you read this in 
apply this to Absalom, he, because of his rebelliousness, is going to experience the same thing. Pride, the pride that fuels him, is leading him toward destruction. It started with hatred, and then pride lapped on, and his arrogance fueled him. And now he's on the downward spiral toward death, thinking that he is going to, going to win the kingdom, that he's going to be better than David. So I ask you a question. Is there a rebellious spirit in you that has been sparked by hatred, fed by pride, coupled with your personal ambition that is leading you toward getting kicked out? You see, when we look at this passage, we come, we, we, it's easy for us to look at what Absalom did and, and look at it from a historical perspective, but God is interested in us going beyond the historical perspective to looking at the word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. It's like looking in the mirror and asking ourselves, God, is that me? Am I doing that? Am I guilty of being a hater? Am I guilty of is my pride stopping me from obeying your word? Am I so ambitious that I'm grasping at things that you haven't given me? Am I trying to take something that does not belong to me? And am I operating by hook or crook? That's the spirit of Absalom. That's a satanic spirit working within us that's tempting us. And I'm not saying that you're possessed by the devil. No. I'm saying that because of this sin, because of the disobedience, that you open yourself up to the workings of the devil. What does Galatians tell us? And the works of the flesh are these. Let me see if I can grab it real quick. I think it's Galatians chapter 5. Look, look, look. And I'm pounding this thing tonight. I'm pounding on this tonight for one simple reason. Look, sometimes we look at the word and we think, okay, this is very, very entertaining. The word is not here to entertain you. The word is here to cleanse us. The word is here to correct us. The word is here to lead us into eternal life. The word shapes us. And that's, what the, and, and that's why we're, we're working so hard at this right now. Um, here it is, Galatians 5.19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Stop right, let me stop right there. You see, what we see with Absalom is literally... He is practicing a form of witchcraft. Remember what it says over in First Samuel when 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 uh, uh, Samuel confronted Saul after Saul didn't kill the Amalekites like he was told to do. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And what is witchcraft? In a nutshell, it's manipulating the will. 
And so what we're trying to do is manipulate the will in such a way that we get what we want without being obedient to God. No, no, no. That is a work of the flesh. The acts of the sinful nature, Galatians 5, 19, I've got to start over again. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Absalom, 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 fits of rage, selfish ambition, Absalom, dissensions, here he's trying to divide the kingdom, factions of envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, that's what we're seeing here, and that's what God wants us to see, and that's what God wants us to come to him and, and, and after we see it, and we want to say, hey, look, if you see any of that in me, and oh, by the way, I did do that right there, but in, I, I didn't realize that that's where it was leading me to. You see, this is a great time to recognize what we need to put before the Lord. So oftentimes we're going to church and and we are uh, um, and we and we're worshiping and we're not worshiping in spirit and truth. We're just singing the songs. We're just lifting up our hands and you know because that's what you that's what we do in church. But what does God say? They worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We want what we want so bad that we're willing to rebel. To get it. But God desires truth in the inward parts. He desires clean hands and a pure heart. And I know that sounds, you know, I know I'm, 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 I'm hitting it like I'm hitting a piece of wood with a sledgehammer. But we've got to come to a point where we get before God and come clean. Because the spirit of rebellion that is residing within ourselves, that's residing in our houses, that's residing in our churches, is going to kill us. And Jesus said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Those are the works of the flesh. That's Satan stimulating your flesh. But what does Jesus say? I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And so when we go to the cross with our sins, when we go and, and stand before God and say, Lord, I have sinned against thee and thee alone, he doesn't say, mm-hmm, and by y'all. No. Mm -mm. He's an ever-present help in our time of trouble, and we can come boldly before his throne of grace and find mercy and help in our time of need. He'll cleanse us. He will cleanse us. Let's keep going. Let me keep going. At the end of four years, watch this. I'm at verse 7 in uh, chapter 15 again. Verse 7, chapter 15. At the end of four years, see this? He is running this deceptive campaign. Four years. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living in Gershom and Aram, I made this vow. So 
he's talking about when he was in exile with his grandfather because he ran away after he killed Amnon. Remember that. He said he made a vow while he was there. He says, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. Why Hebron? Now, worship is set up in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place of worship. Why is he making a vow to go worship in Hebron? Go a little further. I'll tell you in a minute. The king said to him, go in peace. So he went to Hebron. So what he's doing is he's telling David, and he's maneuvering and manipulating and deceiving David once again. He says, I made a vow to the Lord. Now, David, a man of the word, knows that when you make a vow to the Lord, you must repay it. Otherwise, you have placed yourself under a curse. And so he's not willing for his son to be placed under a curse, so he tells him, Go to Hebron. Now, why does Absalom want to go to Hebron? Got to look at your Bible map now. Where is Hebron? Hebron is south of Jerusalem, and it's in the territory of Judah. Remember that. It's south of Jerusalem in the territory of Judah. Judah should be a stronghold of David because, and the the biggest supporter, because David is from the tribe of Judah. Jerusalem actually sits in Benjamin's territory, and the Benjamites are the tribe that Saul is from. And even though David is king, there are still some people in Benjamin, there are in Benjamin's territory, that look at David out of the corner of his eye because some really don't accept him as the appointed king. And so by, him, by, 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 by Absalom going to Judah, what he does is he places himself in a walled city strategically so David can't get to him. And already now, he stole the hearts of the people. And so he's got Judah ready to follow him. He's got David and Jerusalem in a very precarious position among the Benjamites. And watch this, because this is strategic deception. And this is to let you know that Satan will position himself strategically in your life to cut you off from everything that you think you need or that you think you have that is sustaining you. Watch his next move. The king said to him, I'm at verse 9, go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. Two hundred men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and had went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. So now, look, here's some more of his strategy. What he did was he took 200 of David's finest men. He took 200 
of people who were very, very important to running that administration. 200 of the elders of Jerusalem, 200 the 200 consisted of the, some of the elders and the counselors and, 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 and the wise men and, and the people that ran his administ- David's administration. He invited them as his invited guests, not knowing that he was going to rebel, and he places them in a very bad position. Because if they get there, and they say, oh, no, Absalom, I ain't, I ain't got no part of this. Absalom kills him. And he can't run back to David because David might think, oh, you was with Absalom. You, that was a part of him. So now he's taken some of the senior officials out of Jerusalem, and he's nullified part of David's administration. This boy had thought that thing out. And don't you know that that's the way Satan is, that Satan has studied you, that he has studied your every weakness, he studied your moves, he knows the things that you can do, he knows the things that you don't like, and he's constantly just saying, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. God has a plan for him, but I got one too. And watch me work my plan. And watch me maneuver him. Watch me maneuver her out of the place of God. So I can kill him. So I can take him away from his purpose. So I can take him out of his destiny. So I can give him what I got. So I can feed him the bread of bitterness. So I can kill, steal, and destroy. And I'm going to do that by working on his Oh, you see what's happening here? Can you see it better now? Verse 12. While Absalom was offering sacrifices, he also sent for Ahitophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. Let me give you a little insight into Ahitophel. Ahitophel was David's boy. Ahitophel was a wise man, and we'll see more about Ahitophel in, in, in later chapters. But this was David's close confidant. But there's something about Ahitophel that David has forgotten about, and he thinks everything is good. But the reason why Absalom is able to get David's friend to come over is guess who Ahitophel is? Ahitophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. And David brought disgrace on Bathsheba by doing what he did. And Ahitophel has probably kept this thing back a long time because you killed, not only did you take my granddaughter, but you killed a husband, and I know you did it. And so all that time, this close friend where the, that David writes up, it, a psalm about him where he says, it was not my enemy that reproached me, my brother. It was, it, that, this I could have borne. Even those that, those that did magnify 
himself against me, but it was you, my brother. We took sweet counsel together. This cut David to the quick. And just like it, what David did to his granddaughter had got to him, now Ahithophel's getting him back. And he joins Absalom in rebellion because Ahithophel has been carrying this around in his heart, just like, 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 like Absalom has been carrying it around in his heart. And now he's going to get him. I'm going to get that joker. I'm, now is my time. I've been waiting. Vengeance might belong to the Lord, but I'm going to borrow some of We're going to get David back for everything that he did to us. When they see who's surrounding Absalom in Hebron, and they see this wise man who once stood behind David, changing his allegiance over to Absalom. When they see those 200 officials sacrificing and worshiping with Absalom, the people whose hearts he had stolen, Now turn to Absalom. And when it says he stole their hearts, it wasn't a matter of just affection. When he talks about heart, he talks about will. And so the will of the people is no longer with David and David's ways. The will of the people is now with Absalom and what Absalom is doing. It's like Absalom's been on a, a political campaign for four years. Just like we, we looked at the, the, the political campaign for the President of the United States or the Senate or something, and they make all of these promises and tell us what they're going to do, and we get sold on it, and the next thing you know, we're ready to vote for them. It's the same thing Absalom has done. He's held an election, and he thinks he has won. Verse 13, a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Stop. Go back to Ezekiel 28. Uh, actually, it's, uh, um, there's a passage in Isaiah that talks about it. A third of the angels, a third of the angels heard what Satan had to say, and they went with him and got swept out of heaven. You see the... The, the, the parallels, the tricks of the enemy don't change. They're the same. They're always the same. And God knows every last one of his moves even before he makes them. The things that are happening in your life, the things that, that stimulate your pride, the things that stimulate uh, hatred within you so you will walk in unforgiveness, so you'll walk in, 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 in a, a, a love, loveless and not bestow blessings and make you want to curse people rather than bless them. When Satan is playing those tricks on you, when Satan plays those tricks on you, guess what? They ain't new. It's the same devil on a different day. And just like they did that to... To, to Absalom and work that stuff on Absalom, he's trying to work it on you. Keep going. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. 
Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to sword and put the city to the sword. The king's officials answered him, Your servants are ready to do whatever our Lord the king chooses. Now look, now look at look look. You see, Absalom ain't the only one with a strategy. You're dealing with a wise man here. You're dealing with a wise king here. David discerns immediately. Even though we're in this walled city of Jerusalem, even though Absalom is miles away in Hebron, he's going to gather his forces and he's going to try to hem us in. And it sounds like the hearts of the, if the hearts of the people, now he's talking about all of the tribes, David is sitting in a bad position. You might think, well, why don't he just stay in Jerusalem and, and ride it out? No, because he don't know who's in Jerusalem with him. He could have enemies. There's enemies inside those walls. There's enemies in the countryside. And so David has to begin to maneuver to get himself in the right fighting position. Because all along what you're going to see about David is David's going to search God for this stuff. But. At the same time, David is going to use wisdom, and he's going to use his experience as a king and as a warrior. So keep watching. That's why he's going to move out. He said, no, we can't stay here. This is a dangerous position. He says, look, the king set out with his entire household following him, but he left ten concubines to take care of the palace. So the king set out with all the people following him, and they halted at a place some distance away. All his men marched past him, along with the Carathites and the Pelathites and all 600 Gittites who had accompanied him from Gath, from Gath, marched before the king. The king said to Ittai, the Gittite, why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You are a foreigner and exile from your homeland. You came only yesterday, and today shall I make you wander about with us? When I do not know where I am going, go back and take your countrymen. May kindness and faithfulness be with you. But Ittai replied to the king, As surely as the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, wherever my lord the king may be, whether it be life or death, there will your servant be. What are we seeing here? First of all, we see the king and his honor guard marching out. There's more soldiers, but David had a special group of soldiers that were actually Philistines who were his personal bodyguards. And they came over during the Philistine Wars. They came back with David, and they were David's personal bodyguard because you got to remember everybody in 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 Israel did not like David. I told you that earlier. And there and when we get if if we were to do uh first and second kings, you would see how they treated kings. Cuz any minute somebody was going to come along and if they didn't like you, they would bump you off. And even now in your life, there are people that are stationed around you to minister to you, specifically to you. God has an angel or angels 
that are ministering to you and watching over you even as you speak. But God also brings people around you who are devoted and loyal to you because their hearts are for you. And all of us have at least one of them who is you. And through thick and thin, they're kind of like, like a favorite dog. No matter what you do, you know how it is with a dog. You can holler at that dog all day long, but in the end, that dog will come up to you wagging his tail, looking for a treat. God's got people like that just for you, just like he's got angels surrounding you. And they are loyal because they are assigned to you and they love you. And, and this is what he experiences with these Philistines. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. Don't mistake their race or nationality and make them, and think that just because they're another nationality or another race, that they ain't for you. Mm-mm. These were Philistines. These were people that hated Israel and still hate Israel. Back then we call them Philistines. Now they're called Palestinians. Remember that. Verse 23, or 22, David said to Ittai, go ahead, march on. So Ittai the Gittite marched on with all his men and the families that were with him. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the, as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on toward the desert. Zadok was there, too, and all the Levites who were with him, were carrying the ark of the covenant of God. They set down the ark of God, and Abiathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it and his dwelling place again. But if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, oh, let me stop right there. Now, you know, remember we talked about this extensively back in 1 Samuel. The ark represents the presence of God in Israel. And so they are out in the desert. They're going toward the desert, rather, and they are worshiping. They are pleading with God. They are praying. They're offering up sacrifices. And the offering up of sacrifices is basically for sin and for fellowship. If I've sinned, oh God, I, 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 and we want to correct the sin. If I'm out of fellowship with you, oh God, I desire fellowship with you. See, that's what those sacrifices are all about. They're bringing themselves into a position of worship. When we go into church, when we, when we go into our secret devotions, and we begin to worship and give the sacrifice of praise from our lips, it's because we desire the presence of God. We want to be in the presence of God, and not only that, we want to fellowship with God. That's what worship is all about. And this is what he's experiencing, and he's saying, and when he sends the ark back to the city, he's sending away literally the presence of God saying, look, I'm leaving here, but I want the presence of God in the city of God with the people of God. 
And so he, when he sends the people away, and then uh, or the the presence away, and then he he says, because if I'm gonna be in his presence again, God gonna bring me back. If not. He can do whatever he wants. He is literally humbling himself and placing his life in the hands of the Lord. When trouble comes your way, what do you do? Do you fight back? Do you devise a plan? Or are you willing? Because now, another thing I need to mention, David understands that he's under the judgment of God. He understands that this is part of God's judgment. Why do you say it? What did we talk about earlier? He said, and read 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10. He said, trouble coming to your house, and it's going to stay there because of what you did. That was God's judgment, and this is the word coming to pass in David's life. David opened himself up to the devil, and the devil walked right on in. That's all really a curse is. When we walk under a curse, we open ourselves up to the devil and let the devil walk right on in. Why? Because we too stubborn, too rebellious to do what thus saith the Lord. Our pride and our hatred take precedence, and when we let that pride, uh, when we grab hold of that pride, all we're doing is opening up the door to the devil. That's why it says pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. Yeah, let me let me start wrapping some things up because I'm not going to get all the way through this chapter. I want to read something to you because I, 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 this is a night of repentance. This is a night of repentance. Repentance. That's what it is. See, every time I read this, I, 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 oh, I get excited about it. I love these action stories in the Bible. But sometimes we have to look back and analyze, what is God saying to me? And these action stories make me want to take some action. Look at James chapter 4 quickly. James chapter 4. I'm going to read this in the English Standard Version, okay? I was, I've been reading all night in NIV. Let me switch to the English Standard because I, I need to do this quickly. What causes quarrels? James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Is it not this, that you're full of hate? that you're full of pride and that stuff is warring against your spirit and it's overwhelming your spirit and it's causing the flesh to manifest. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? Let me back up for a second. And I got, I, I got, I got, oh, I got, ooh, y'all read this. You read this and meditate over this. I don't have time to really go through it. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you look at that right there and you look at the passage that we in in 2 Samuel, you can tell who's going to win this war already. If you've never read this, the whole story, I can tell you, you can tell who just humbled himself and who's going to give some grace. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And this is the action step for us tonight. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. David is humbling himself before the Lord. The arrogance, the hatred, the rebellion of Absalom. Absalom trying to exalt himself. We'll see next week where it's going to get him. We'll see next week where it's going to get him. But what should we do and, 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 and remember, Absalom acting just like his daddy act, because that's what the, that's what his daddy did. His daddy rebelled against God when he took Bathsheba, and now this thing is being multiplied and manifested right in his very sight. He sowed to the wind. He's reaping the whirlwind. He sowed a little seed, and now he's reaping a harvest of sin. What do we want to do? I don't want to reap none of that mess. I can do without it in my life. You want to be exalted? Humble yourself. Be a servant of the Most High God. Resist the devil. Submit yourself unto God. That's what it says. Submit yourself unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, you know what submit means. It means place yourself in order under God. You know what resist means. Resist means to actively war against. So, just like when Jesus went to war with the devil, what did he do? He, what did he do? He spoke God's word, and he said, this is how I will abide. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm not making no stones, no flesh. I'm going to live by God's word. And you begin to let the word manifest within you as you humble yourself. You place yourself in order under the mighty hand of God. And you fight back. You fight with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then you let God exalt you. 
got to do that in your home. You got to do that on your job. You got to do that with you. You do it within your church. Humble yourself. Resist the devil. Don't take part in any of his activities. But always be willing to do the will and the work of the Lord. And then you won't be like the devil, but you'll be just like your daddy in heaven who calls us to be blessings, who is shaping us and conforming us into his very image and transforming us by the power of his spirit. Well, that's all I can do tonight. I pray that you have been blessed by this lesson and that you've had as wonderful a time as I have and that God is doing something in your life. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you and to praise you and to bless you. For you are good and your mercy endures forever. We thank you, O God, that you inspect our lives and that you lead us into truth by the Spirit. You lead us into your word and you allow the Spirit of God to show us where we're weak and where we're strong, what needs to be built up and what needs to be torn down. And tonight, God, we come to you denouncing hatred, denouncing pride, denouncing revenge, denouncing anything that's ungodly, denouncing every work of the flesh, and claiming, O oh God, your peace and your joy we humble ourselves, O oh God, before you. We bow before you. And we pray that you would give us the strength to resist the devil, to actively war against him, to be who you called us to be, to fulfill the purpose that you have in our lives, that we might walk with you and advance the kingdom of God. We thank you and we praise you for this time, for these people that study with us week after week. We pray, O oh God, that, that your word penetrates their hearts and dwells in them richly. O oh God, and cause bountiful blessings to flow from their lives 30, 60, 100 fold. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, again, I pray you've had a wonderful time. I've had a time myself. And I will see you out here next week as we continue in uh, finishing off the 15th chapter and moving into the 16th chapter as we see what's going to happen with Absalom and what it means in our lives today. Be blessed and have a wonderful